You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi. This is episode number 1,161. The Salazar Group sells businesses knowing you have one chance to reap the rewards of your life's work. Their six key value driver strategy reduces risk and increases the value of the business by as much as 20%, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I've invited Managing Principal David Salazar here to share more in-depth about these strategies. David, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show Thanks, and Podcast. Thank good, you. It's good to have you in the studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. So before we get into the business and all those great things we talked about in the open, let's talk about you. Do you have an interesting story, a background, kind of tell our CEOs and business owners a little bit more about you? Yeah, it's actually a pretty diverse background. I started working uh, my career with Procter & Gamble, huh, uh, worked with uh, Baxter International and Oracle, and uh, so all these Fortune 100-type companies. Sure. And um, ended up, uh, after relocating to five different states and, and moving all around, ended up back here in South Orange County. And uh, I was CEO of a medical device company for four years, and then decided to uh, start the Salazar Group. And when was that? And this was uh, actually I started the company last year, but we've been doing this for about six years. Okay. Yeah. So, so you started in Orange County, and you were lucky enough to end back in Orange County. Yes. Wow, that yeah. you were fortunate, right? So I went to San Diego State. So okay. Back home. Hey, back that's home. a good school. My yeah. daughter went to San Diego State. Go Aztecs. Go Aztecs. All right, right here All right. we are. So you had different types of companies that you worked for. Did you do a similar function in those companies? What was your role at Procter & Gamble or some of the other names that you mentioned? Yeah, so they uh, took me off campus and put me in sales and I tried to figure out, uh, you know, I started selling Pringles and potato chips and oh, Cisco. Love those. And Duck and Hines or something. Oh. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, wow, you know, I went to college for this. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, getting experience with Procter & Gamble, though, is, Not a, bad. is great experience. It's, it's uh, basic selling 101. So, right. Yeah. And marketing. And marketing. Right. Marketing, of course. Yeah, great experience. So I uh, actually um, went into uh, the healthcare industry and went with Baxter Healthcare and went to marketing management then. Okay. That's when uh, Edwards was uh, just a very tiny little division for us right. that, that nobody was thinking about. Right. And um, so I spent 10 years with them and then um, with a couple other uh, company, medical, comp- medical device companies, they ended up being president out mm-hmm. of Atlanta, building a... 50,000-square-foot manufacturing facility and hiring 100 people. Wow. And now you're back here. And what made you do this chapter of your career? What is it about helping clients realize the hard work of a life's effort and maximizing their exit? What is it that attracted you about that? You know, I found it very interesting when I was uh, in corporate world and, and looking at acquisitions, kind of what a buyer and seller went through in the process. And uh I thought that uh, when I got back here, I was going to get off airplanes and not relocate anymore uh, yeah. to Pittsburgh, Connecticut, and Atlanta. And uh, and so I started this business to leverage my background of actually I run a company, uh-huh. yet I'd actually had some brokerage background with C.B. Richard Ellis. Oh, and wow. so I leveraged well, you, both those. You are like a – you constantly reinvented yourself, dude. I can't keep a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hopefully the boss likes you at the Salazar Group. because yeah, Maybe you put your roots down on this he's one. Tough, well, we'll see. I'm yeah, sure he is. Yeah, seems yeah. like he might be. What I've heard, he can be very difficult yes. at times. What is the niche that you're pursuing with the Salazar Group? You know, I read in the open how you're helping them really maximize their exit, but who are you looking to help? 
Yeah. You know, Rick, the market is divided between you have large companies where you have investment bankers, and that's $100 million plus, $500 yeah. million plus. And then you have business brokers that do your Main Street, your mom, pop, your cleaners, and, and restaurants, and some of those things. Okay. Well, what I don't have in Orange County, uh, I saw, was kind of a 5 to $50 million revenue type business. Oh. Didn't have real good representation for doing a sale. And uh, after spending some time with uh, uh, one of the national firms, I decided to uh, focus on this niche. And I tell you, I can't find anybody else who, who does it. So I, I guess that's a good thing. Okay. But, well, if uh, you're listening out there right now, don't pay attention to what he just said. He doesn't need any more competition. But we, <laughs> and, and you wouldn't be able to effectively compete with him anyway, because you've got a, a strategy here of six key value drivers, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. So, you know, working for large corporations, as you did for most of my career, um, a company that is a five, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar business sometimes doesn't seem that large. But when you look at it from an entrepreneur's perspective, you celebrate companies that get the five, ten, fifteen, twenty million. That's a hard road, and they can have a lot of intrinsic value companies those size, can't they? Uh, that's really true. I don't think most people really understand the challenge of moving from. Uh 100,000, 500,000 to over a million to $5 million. Right. Uh, you really have to respect the guys that, that or men and people that do that. And, and what I found, David, and you tell me, because I work with a lot of companies that same size, is many times the people who own that company have chosen to make most of their strategic investments back into their business. In other words, a large portion of the net worth is tied up in the value of the businesses that they've created. So they sacrifice for 5, 10, 20 years without the liquidity because they're investing back in the business. And so the business continues to grow. And, but at some point, uh, when they turn 60 years old or whatever the case may be, um, they want to provide some liquidity for themselves, take right. some chips off the table. Exactly. Lower and their risk. Lower their risk. And um, and so uh, that, that's a challenge. So we need to make sure that we can understand their long-term objectives uh, before we even go to selling the business. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what might make the Salazar Group unique. What, what is it that you believe? We're going to get to your six value drivers in a minute, but before we get there, culturally, or your background, what, what is it that makes your firm special? Well, you'll find uh, that in this business, uh, the brokerage business, uh, you'll find uh, deals to be very transactional. Okay. So, uh, you know, we'll get the deal done, get paid, and everybody goes home happy, and and it didn't quite work out that way. Um, I found that our clients really needed strategic help before we got to the position to do a transaction with them. And so we developed the key value drivers to help them improve the strategy and the value of the company uh, before we actually did the transaction. So I work with a lot of um, these size companies. Many of them are privately, most are privately held. And here's a couple things that I've learned. You tell me if you if your experience is similar. The first time someone thinks about selling it and they get a valuation, they don't accept it. They think it's too low. Of course, this is their baby, and their baby is beautiful. Right. And when you tell them it's not quite that beautiful, there's there's a, always like a government. Right. And, and generally speaking, to get them from where they really are to where they want to be is not an overnight fix. It generally takes some amount of time to change processes and do some things differently to create more enterprise value than is currently in the business. As a matter of fact, it takes Rick. Uh, it takes years, Rick. Right. Um, you just can't do this in six months, and you can't implement a CRM system or diversify your revenue or whatever it is that you might, you might need to do to increase the value. And so we're happy when someone calls us or we get a uh, a referral from somebody that says they want to sell in two or three years. 
which even feels a little bit tight to me. Yes. Right? Because three uh, to five feels more like a reasonable that, time. That, that's probably ideal. Okay. Uh, but for whatever reason, they want to sell, and they've turned 60 years old, and, and, uh, and they're ready to move on. And, and so they don't give us enough time, but uh, we do the best we can. Okay. So then the other side of that is uh, friends of mine who also work with these size companies find that many times the owner is reluctant to seriously think about selling until they are mentally and emotionally ready. And all too often, that is not a three- to five-year window. So, yeah, as a matter of fact, I get calls and say, you know, can you sell it by the end of the year or can oh, you sell it in six months or right. something? And the process, the actual process takes about a year and sometimes much longer than that. Yes, um, because it's a relationship, not a transaction. Somebody's not buying your 1947 Chevy. They're buying an income stream and a business, which takes a lot of diligence. Yes, that's right. And even though the income stream is very important, of course, you know, they want to make sure it's profitable and and um, but they're buying a team. You have a team in place. There's that. You have some lieutenants there. You have uh, technology you develop, your patents or trademarks or whatever it might be. You have the name of your company that you've been pushing for the past 25 years, and all this becomes something that just becomes ingrained in you. It makes it very difficult to pass on to somebody else. And then there's, and we're, we don't have time today, unfortunately, on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast to talk to David Salazar about the emotional side of selling the business. We're, I, I just want to get to the financial aspect. Maybe we'll have you back at some point next year and talk about delinking your identity from your business. Can we do that another time? Sounds good. Okay, we'll talk about that in the future. But I, I do want to get to the six value drivers and how they play into a successful exit and how you help companies to kind of implement those within a, in, in, to increase the enterprise value. Can yeah. you take us through them? Yeah, Rick. So what we did was uh, I went to the buyers, so the private equity firms, the wealthy individuals, the corporations, yeah, right. and said, well, you know, what? why is it that two companies that both make a million dollars, why does one sell for twice as much as the other one? And so they said, because these other key value drivers are important to us. And so we identified six of them that were the most important to these buyers. And they start off with, uh, as I said before, a team. You know, who's in place? Who are the lieutenants in place when the captain goes away and the new captain comes in? So right. what happens to the sales force and marketing people and everything? So the team is, is very important. Um, revenue diversity is something that uh, is very difficult for smaller companies it's very important that you don't have all your eggs in one basket. You mean over-concentration on the over client? Over-concentration of okay. one particular client. If your client represents 30% of your business, that's a risk factor. Right, right. And a buyer will discount the business because of that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what you mean by revenue diversity is having a good plethora of clients that no one can do too much damage to your business. Yes. Also, what about sectors and industries? Do you also try to help them to sort of diversify? Like if you're all in housing, that may be great right now, but that may not be great in three years. Yeah, particularly, uh, it's a great example because look at real estate. You know, it, it's up and down and it's it recessions happen and things right. happen. So right. what happens to your revenue stream? Um, if you're when, overly when, concentrated in one industry. Concentrated. Right. So it's an issue and uh, something we try to work with companies before we, we go to market is try to get them to understand how they can diversify by selling either additional products to the same customers or having new customers. Do companies that are growing get a better multiple than those that are have achieved a certain level and sort of plateaued? Yes. You know, everybody wants to buy a company that's going up. No one wants to buy a company that's on its way down. So, okay. so having a strategy in place of growing the company of a consistent revenue stream and cash flow stream is, is very important. It makes the person feel good 
when they buy it, that that revenue stream is going to be there long term, and there's a way to to, to increase it. So okay, so I, th- I feel like we've gotten through three: management team, revenue diversity, a growth plan. But there's six. So David, what are the other three? <laughs> the uh, next one really is uh, comes down to profitability, and or a lot of companies think that if you just make a sale, smaller smaller businesses, you've got cash flow and you can pay the bills, whatever. But really, what buyers are looking for is something that's profitable. Are you made dropping 20% down to the bottom line in your EBITDA uh, earnings environment? Is that going to be the type of company that they'll be able to leverage in the future when they buy it and take it to the next level? So profitability, efficiencies, things like this okay. become very important. So, so we're getting a little wonky, and I apologize for that, ladies and gentlemen. But this concept of EBITDA and being able to leverage it, because... The way you're talking makes me think like a buyer's going to come in and say, okay, well, I can scale this by leveraging the business model and grow it even further, right? And yes. so the, the the economic engine is the EBITDA is one of the mes- measurements, right? Yes, it covers uh, if they have to put uh, invest additional capital into it, it covers the debt service. Okay. So uh, you've got to have enough cash flow to do that. And this is one of those um, financial terms that many business owners, successful business owners, understand but aren't as comfortable with as your income, your top-line revenue, your gross costs or margins. You know, there's other financial terms that they're much more comfortable with. EBITDA sometimes takes a little bit of, of work to get familiar with it and to be comfortable understanding how to affect it. Yeah, so most of the time I, I can try to use the words cash flow. It's not the exact same okay. definition. Okay. But uh, businesses understand uh, how much cash flow they're making oh usually God, uh, on yes. a monthly basis. So. It, it is when I um, – we're talking with David Salazar of the Salazar Group, by the way, and we're talking about his model for helping you increase the value of your business by at least – or up to 20% if you implement these six value drivers. The, the place that I find my clients to be the most stressed is when they have sustained cash flow challenges. It really is – it, it, it really does suck their energy out of them many times because it's such a hard thing. Uh, profit is important, and yes, but if they have sustained cash flow problems, because I started my business in 2007, 2008, a lot of my early clients were right in that space. Yeah, challenge. the smaller business is about cash flow. It's not about uh, earnings and and uh, dividends. It's it's about cash flow. Right. Okay. Uh, so yeah. we've got two more. I see. Okay. You talk about having systems. What do you mean by systems? You know, things have changed. You know, uh, you cannot keep those invoices on paper and keep your client notes on a paper somewhere <laughs> or file them in a drawer. You can't. Um, you need to have a CRM system. You need to have some system in place where uh, everyone can see the information on the customer interaction that you had uh-huh. such that you could leverage that and they can leverage it when they come in and take over the company right and um, and uh, be more sophisticated in that so so when you come in and you're advising your clients these are kind of areas as well if you don't have a CRM today you probably knowledgeable the kind that they may want to to look at if you're if you don't really have an ERP system because these again aren't overnight implementations they t- cost money and they change behavior and they take time to really ingrain into the business process right they do Rick uh, fortunately the prices have come down I used to be a general manager for Oracle and uh, sold oh, some of these God, systems right? and so uh, Oracle so those were big big platforms but uh, it's e- much easier now to put in a CRM system. And if you don't have one, your buyer's probably going to do it immediately or ask you to do it anyway. So, right, uh, it's going you're going to get a haircut. Yes, because exactly. they're going to well, we're going to have to spend sixty thousand here and exactly. training, and oh, we're going to have to take that off the top. And yes, thank you yeah, very much yeah. for not investing in your business. Yes. Okay, what's the last one? So the last one is uh, probably the most important, and that's timing. 
I mean, so look at the market right now. Look at the stock market. Yes. So is it time to buy? Is it time to sell? So you really want to have be focused on what the timing of the market is, is doing. And you can get a high, higher level, higher value for the uh, the business if you're focused on selling it at the right time and it's not going down. Right. Once the market is starting to go down, there's really uh, difficult to uh, convince somebody that, that your company is, is not – being affected by the macroeconomics and that they have something else going. That's interesting because I, you know, I uh, having started my business in 2007 and seeing how difficult it was for many business owners to stay in business, but they did, and now they're 10, 12 years older. And if the next re- when the next recession comes, I think there may be a wave of people who are like, I'm not going to fight that fight again. I'm going to take my chips off the table. So, you know, the basic law of economics, supply and demand, I think we may be running into a high supply side as people age and as the economy gets a little bit tighter, they may start to want to get out. So planning for that is something you ought to start doing today because it's going to be here. You actually should know the value of your business all times. All time. So know it now and understand what the gap is between the value of the business and what you need to get out of it. Right. The business. Yes. And so it's important to know that gap and what we can do to close that gap before we sell it. Right. And is it your opinion? You tell me that the way to do that isn't to slash costs only. You know, it's not. Uh, and, and buyers can see through that. <laughs> <laughs> They've been trained. So if, if you don't have a strategy, <laughs> go back three years, you don't have yeah. a strategy in place. And you remember, you know, these private equity groups, these people do this all day long, you know, uh, right. all week long. And so the right. professionals, they know. They can read those financial statements like the back of your hand, and uh, so they'll know whether you have a good product line, if you have good customers, if you have a good strategy in place. Boy, that's such an important point, and thank you for bringing that up because you reminded me that it's not a fair fight in that business owners sell their business very infrequently for the most part, and professional buyers are buying every day. And so just that nature sort of puts you at a disadvantage. It really does. So. You really need an advisor, someone right. who's been there and done that, right. who can help you get through the process. And uh, uh, we actually bring in a, a variety of advisors, attorney, accountant, a wealth advisor, to help with the team at the very beginning. And we go out as a team and try to uh, market the uh, the business. Well, that, this is why you, in the open, it said you can help them to get up to 20% higher in the selling price, which is huge. It is. And uh, we've had uh, results much higher than that, but uh, that's... That, that's a, okay, we so we, we want to be conservative in yes. our statements here. Yes. We don't want our to over <laughs> over expect these people to say, hey, you, you said 40%, David. Yes. Okay, we only have a few minutes left, so unfortunately I can't get to all the questions that I wanted to ask you. I apologize for that, but I did want to ask you, any recent decision that you had where you kind of had an uh, unintended consequence, a surprise outcome from what you thought the outcome was going to be to what it actually was? Well, Rick, uh, you know, uh, we, when I started the business, uh, we were doing uh, valuations and actually doing the transaction. And we thought that was a full-service company. That's all that companies needed. We soon found out that they really did need these value driver understanding, strategically positioning the company and having a team to sell the business. So we added a strategic uh uh, offering here just uh, recently. Oh, to, really? To compliment. So we had oh. to go back and kind of read event. Pivoting on the business model a little yes, bit there, yeah, huh? Yeah. yeah, you think you had a complete solution, but you uncovered more need. Yes. That's the best way to 
uh, a teachable moment here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast is listen to your customers and see how else you can provide value to them, right? Yes, both short-term and long-term. Right. Yes. Okay. So I, I actually found a couple minutes, so I did want to ask you, where do you go to get outside insight and advice? What What do you do to get out, as Peter, as uh, Michael Gerber said, to work on your business, not in your business? Yeah, I'm a, a big reader, yeah. um, so I, I, I'm uh, constantly trying to understand what the latest concepts are and strategies. But I also am involved in the International Business Brokers Association sure. and the Association for Corporate Growth. And so I discuss these with uh, buyers, uh, sellers, with attorneys, with accountants, and get their opinion on how we should do something. So it's a learning process. It's continuous learning. Awesome. You can never stop learning. No. Right? And especially in this day, day and age, that's just and, – and, and it's so easy now. With all these different platforms, YouTube, TED Talks, books, podcasts, radio shows like this one. Um, final question. Well, next to the last final question. What's your guiding principle? What's your philosophy that you're using to lead and grow the Salazar Group? Yeah, you know, we, we thought about that uh, uh, very hard and, and long, and uh, we came up with, with what we call the three C's. Okay. And the first one is confidentiality. You have to be able to trust your broker that they're going to uh, keep the business confidential and not put it out on a database somewhere where everybody's going to see it and your, co and your competitors are going to see it and, and cause problems. The next one is competence. Uh, we want to make sure that we know what we're doing. Um, we have the experience now and have the team in place. And so uh, obviously being very competent is something that's a continuous improvement situation. Sure. And the last one is uh, character and probably the most important. And the character of the people that you work with make all the difference in the world. This is not a, uh, a quick trip. It, it takes months to get through it. It's emotional. Yes. And uh, you've got to be with people who are strong and understand the process. I can only imagine some of the stories you can't tell us here about how emotional <laughs> buyers and sellers can get about something as valuable as a business. Yes, it, it really does take experience. Sure. All right, so if someone would like to learn more about the Salazar Group, how do they find you online, David? Well, we can go to uh, salazargroupinc.com. S-A-L-A-Z-A-R. Thank you. Group Inc. Com. Okay. Well, it's been a blast to have you on the show. Thanks, Rick. Uh, thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Critical Mass community. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'm going to thank our engineer as well, who happens to be the station manager, double-teaming it here today, Mr. Paul Roberts. Also, our three, in, our three producers, sorry, without whom we could not do this show each week, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. Uh, if you'd like to connect with me on social media, let's start on LinkedIn. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N. ZI. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.